After reciting the Tashahud, Tawuz, and Surah Al-Fatiha, Hazrat Khalifatul Masih the Fifth, Ayyadahullahu Ta'ala bin Israhil Aziz stated that Allah the Almighty accepts the istighfar i.e. seeking forgiveness and repentance of his servant, providing that it is true repentance and not just mere utterance of the tongue. Allah the Almighty has mentioned this in various occasions in the Holy Quran, that he bestows those who truly repent with wealth and children and that it is a means of protection from divine punishment. One who seeks forgiveness, i.e. istighfar, draws the mercy of Allah the Almighty. And in one place, Allah the Almighty has given glad tidings to those who seek forgiveness. And he states, that is, they would have surely found Allah oft returning with compassion and merciful. However, the condition remains that one should truly seek forgiveness and repentance. In a hadith, i.e. a tradition of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, it is related by Hazrat Anas anhu that he heard the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, say that one who truly repents from sin is like one who has never committed any sin in the first place. When Allah the Almighty loves a person, then no sin can cause him any harm. In other words, the factors that incite to sin cannot lead him towards an ill deed and Allah the Almighty protects such a person from the consequences of that ill deed as well. Following this, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, recited the following verse, إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُحِبُّ التَّوَّابِينَ وَيُحِبُّ الْمُتَتَّهِرِينَ That is, Allah loves those who turn to Him and loves those who keep themselves clean. Upon this, someone said that, O Messenger of Allah, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, what is the sign of true repentance? 
How can someone know that this is a true repentance? Upon this, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, replied that remorse and regret are signs of true repentance. Hence, those who truly repent not only purify themselves from sin by displaying true remorse and regret, but they also attain the love of Allah the Almighty and they continuously partake of the mercy of Allah the Almighty as well. The promised Messiah has mentioned the conditions of true repentance on one occasion. He writes that the first condition is to rid oneself of evil thoughts and ideas. That is, one should completely rid oneself of thoughts that arise from unlawful desires. And this requires a great jihad, an inner struggle, which a person has to undertake, as only then will they be able to move towards true repentance. The Promised Messiah continues, that the second condition is to express true remorse and regret. One should reflect over the fact that these desires and worldly pleasures are temporary and they continue to decrease by the day along with the age of a person. And in such a case, why should one then remain attached to them? Thus, fortunate is the one who understands this reality and truly repents. Moreover, to express true remorse, as this was mentioned by the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. The Promised Messiah then states that the third condition is to make a firm resolve to not go anywhere near such vices again. Moreover, one should not just stop there with the mere thought that they have made an oath to not go near sins again and that this is sufficient. In fact, this should then be replaced with good morals and virtuous deeds. And this, in fact, is true repentance, i.e. Tawbah. And this is true remorse. And after acquiring this condition or this particular state, it is then that Allah the Almighty bestows His love upon such a servant of His. The Promised Messiah has repeatedly drawn our attention towards seeking forgiveness and repentance. Man errs, and when these mistakes are made repeatedly, then they lead a person from one sin to another. Therefore, one should continue to seek forgiveness, i.e. istighfar from Allah the Almighty, whilst prostrating before Him. We should strive to purify our hearts and always remain mindful of not allowing ourselves to fail in discharging our rights due to Allah and the rights due to his creation. And as I mentioned, that the promised Messiah has repeatedly drawn the attention of his community towards seeking forgiveness. The promised Messiah was so concerned in regards to this that he did not allow any opportunity to pass in drawing the attention of the Jamaat towards this. The promised Messiah time and again drew attention towards this in his various gatherings and in his writings. Thus, it is vitally important for us to always try and be mindful of and act upon the instructions of the Promised Messiah 
which are in fact in light of the commandments of Allah the Almighty and His Messenger, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, so that we also become those who truly fulfill the due rights of our bad, i.e. Pledge of Allegiance. If we fail to bring about a pure change in ourselves and nor pay attention towards true repentance and forgiveness, then our pledge to reform ourselves is of no benefit. The Promised Messiah has explained about the concept of repentance in various instances and I shall present some of his extracts. Whilst expounding upon the benefit of seeking forgiveness, i.e. istighfar, the Promised Messiah states, Bear in mind that two things have been granted to this Ummah, one which grants strength and the other which enables one to practically demonstrate the strength that they have attained. In order to build strength there is istighfar, i.e. seeking forgiveness from God, which may also be described as istimdad, i.e. seeking support, or isti'anat, i.e. seeking assistance. The Sufis have written that just as meal clubs and lifting weights increase the strength and power of the body, in other words, those who do weightlifting or lift dumbbells and various other forms of exercise, and just as they increase their physical strength by doing so. Similarly, seeking forgiveness from God is a spiritual weight which strengthens the soul and develops steadfastness in the heart. The Promised Messiah states that one who desires to develop strength or to seek forgiveness is istighfar. If one wants to attain spiritual strength, then they ought to seek forgiveness. The word ghafar means to cover or suppress. And so through istighfar, a person seeks to cover and suppress those emotions and thoughts which stand between them and God. Therefore, the purpose in seeking forgiveness from God, i.e. istighfar, is so that man may overcome the venomous agents that attack him and seek to destroy him, and so that he may stay clear of the obstructions on the path of fulfilling the commandments of God Almighty and so that he may act upon them in the practical sense. The Promised Messiah further states that it ought to be remembered also that Allah the Almighty has created man possessing two internal substances, one being a venom which is stimulated by Satan and secondly an antidote that lies within. When a person becomes arrogant and grows conceited, and he does not seek support from the cure that is housed within, then a person's infectious elements begin to dominate. However, when a person considers themselves to be lowly and insignificant and feels an inner dependence on the support of Allah the Almighty, then a flowing spring takes form through the hand of Allah the Almighty by which a person's soul melts and begins to flow forth. And this is the very meaning of istighfar, i.e. seeking forgiveness from God, or in other words, to gain the strength and to overcome the poison that lies within. Therefore, what this means is that one should remain firm in worship by firstly obeying the Messenger, peace be upon him, and secondly by seeking assistance from God constantly. Of course, initially one must seek assistance from the Lord, but when one receives strength, one must then turn to God. In order to attain the help of Allah the Almighty, one has to supplicate to Him. Then the Promised Messiah further states, It is plainly obvious that the nature of man is extremely weak 
and God Almighty has placed the burden of hundreds of commandments upon him. That is, man is weak, yet Allah the Almighty has placed many commandments upon him. Hence, it is intrinsic to his nature that owing to its weakness, he can fail to fulfill some of the commandments. It is natural that one may not be able to fulfill all the commandments as there are so many. And at times one is overcome by the nafsi amara, i.e. the self that incites to evil. And thus he possesses the right that owing to his weak nature, that upon making an error the mercy of God save him from perishing, owing to him seeking repentance and forgiveness. Since man is weak, therefore he possesses the right that Allah the Almighty accepts his true repentance and saves him. Thus, it is an established fact that if God did not accept one's repentance, then he would never have placed upon him the burden of countless commandments. From this, it is undoubtedly proven that God is off-returning with compassion and most forgiving. And toba, i.e. repentance, means that a person should discard a vice with the resolve that thereafter, even if he's thrown into the fire, he would not commit that vice again. Thus, this is the kind of repentance which one ought to make. When man turns towards God Almighty with such sincerity and firm resolve, then God, who is benevolent and merciful, forgives him that particular sin. It is one of the high divine attributes that God accepts repentance and saves a sinner from ruin. And if man had not the hope of his repentance being accepted, then he would not be able to refrain from sinning. If one has no hope of their repentance being accepted, then they will continue committing sins. And there are many people who ask questions regarding this, that what is the benefit of repentance when this is going to be one's ultimate fate? However, this is not the case. In fact, if one repents prior to this, then Allah the Almighty can save a person from it. The Promised Messiah states, The Christians also believe in repentance, but on the condition that the person who repents should be a Christian. However, Islam lays down no condition for repentance. The repentance of the followers of every faith can be accepted, leaving out only the sin of denying the Book of God and His Messenger. And it is impossible that a person should attain salvation only through his conduct. It is the benevolence of God that He accepts the repentance of some and bestows by His grace such powers on others that they are safeguarded against sinning. Once a person attended a gathering of the Promised Messiah and asked what invocation he should recite. Upon this, the Promised Messiah stated, You ought to recite the prayer for God's forgiveness. There are only two states of man, either that he does not sin or that Allah the Almighty saves him from the bad outcome of that sin. Hence, when a person invokes the forgiveness of God, they ought to keep both these concepts in mind. That is, to not commit sin in the first place, and secondly, to prevent the bad outcome of the sins already committed, and that Allah the Almighty bestow His forgiveness, and that He never commits such a sin in the future. Thus, one ought to be mindful of this while seeking forgiveness, i.e. istighfar. The Promised Messiah further states, Firstly, one ought to beg God Almighty so that He covers and hides one's past sins, and secondly, one ought to seek from God Almighty the ability so that one may be saved from committing sin in the future. However, one cannot attain forgiveness from just a verbal proclamation. Rather, one ought to seek forgiveness from the heart and to pray in the Salat in one's own language. This is also important, to just simply utter istighfar or to write down astaghfirullah rabbi 
and claim to not commit sin ever again is of no benefit. In fact, one has to prove that they shall never commit those sins again which he previously committed. Then, whilst explaining the meaning of istighfar, the Promised Messiah stated on one occasion, Istighfar means for one to neither commit an actual sin and nor for the ability to commit a sin to emerge. The reality of the istighfar of the Prophets is that they are free from sin, yet they perform istighfar so that even the ability to sin not be manifested in the future. However, for the general population, the other meanings of istighfar will also be taken into account for them, which is for God to safeguard them from the ill effects of the sins and evils they have committed and to forgive them for their sins and at the same time to protect them from future sins. The Promised Messiah further states, In any case, it is incumbent upon man to always remain occupied in performing istighfar. The tribulations manifesting in the form of droughts or in any other form are there so that people occupy themselves in istighfar, i.e. seeking forgiveness. Nowadays, wars and conflict are taking place in the world and in such circumstances, we Ahmadis should perform istighfar profusely in order to save the world and to save ourselves. The Promised Messiah then states, However, istighfar does not mean for one to merely utter astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah, that is, I seek forgiveness from Allah. The truth is that the reality of its true meaning has remained hidden from the people as a result of Arabic being a foreign language. The Arabs understood this well. However, many truths remain hidden from the people of our country due to it being a foreign tongue. Many people claim they performed istighfar so many times and recited tasbih, a glorification of God, a hundred times or a thousand times. Yet, when they are questioned as to what is the essence and meaning of istighfar, they have no answer and are left speechless. One must truly seek forgiveness in the depths of their heart so that they do not face retribution for the sins and vices they have committed. Furthermore, in future, they should at all times seek God Almighty's help in the depths of their heart that they are enabled to carry out good deeds and are safeguarded from sins. The Promised Messiah states that remember full well that nothing can be attained from mere lip service. It is also possible to seek forgiveness in one's own language so that Allah grants forgiveness for one's previous sins and to be safeguarded from future sins and to be given the ability to do good and this in fact is true istighfar. There is no need to go about merely saying astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah while one's heart is completely oblivious to it. Bear in mind that only the word which emanates from the heart reaches Allah. One should therefore also supplicate to God Almighty in their own language as it has an effect over the heart. The tongue bears testimony to what is in the heart. If there is fervour or passion in the heart and this is accompanied by the tongue, then this is excellent. However, without the heart, mere words are worthless and futile. Indeed, the supplications of the heart are the true supplications. When a person continues to pray to God Almighty and seeks his forgiveness from the depths of their heart prior to a trial, then that trial is averted by the merciful and benevolent God. Conversely, he does not avert the trial if one supplicates after it has already befallen. Thus, one ought to continuously pray even before any trial befalls and seek forgiveness abundantly. In this way, God shall protect them at the time of a trial. Our community ought to display something out of the ordinary. If a person pledges their allegiance, i.e. bath, and fails to display something extraordinary and their treatment of their wife remains the same as before, and they treat their family and children the same as before, then this is not good. What benefit is there 
of the oath of allegiance, i.e. the bad, if after taking it one possesses the same bad manners and ill treatment and they are in the same state as before. In fact, one should display such an example after the Pledge of Allegiance that others and one's relatives and neighbours all speak up and say that this individual is no longer the same as he was before. This should be the result of true istighfar, i.e. seeking forgiveness. Remember carefully that if you purify yourselves and carry out a deed, then you shall most certainly impact others. How great was the awe-inspiring aura of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Once the disbelievers were worried that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, would pray against them. So all the disbelievers gathered and requested him not to do so. A truthful person does indeed possess an aura. And one must therefore purify themselves and then act for the sake of God. It is then that one will have an awe over others and influence them. Then on another occasion, the promised Messiah stated, To fear God Almighty and to be righteous is a magnificent feat. As a result of it, God shields one from thousands of calamities. And without this protection of God Almighty, no one can claim immunity from affliction and nor should anyone feel secure. The promised Messiah states that calamities descend without warning. What knowledge does anyone possess of what is to come when night falls? It is recorded that once the Holy Prophet, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, stood up and he wept profusely and then addressing the people, he said that, O servants of Allah, fear God. O servants of Allah, fear God. Misfortunes and trials cling to people like ants. There is no way to be safeguarded from them except being engaged in istighfar and repentance with a sincere heart. The Promised Messiah then further explains, The meaning of istighfar, i.e. to seek forgiveness, is to seek the protection of God Almighty from one's previous sins and the punishment of one's offences and to beg protection from committing sins in the future. Prophets would always engage in istighfar as did the common people as well. Some ignorant Christian priests have criticised the istighfar of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and have written that his performing istighfar is proof, God forbid, of the sinfulness of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. The Promised Messiah, والسلام, states, These uninformed people do not even understand that istighfar, i.e. seeking forgiveness, is a lofty quality in one's character. Mankind by nature is created such that its natural tendency is feeble and frail. And prophets are well aware of this inherent frailty and the weakness of human nature. For this reason they pray that, O my Allah, grant us such protection that those human weaknesses are not even capable of appearing. The Arabic word ghafar means to cover and the essential point is that the power that God wields is not possessed by any prophet nor any wali, i.e. saint or messenger. No one can possibly claim that they can safeguard themselves from sin through their own capability. Therefore, prophets also stand in need of God for the sake of protection. Wherefore, as a demonstration of his humble submission before God, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, also used to pray to God Almighty for his protection, like the other prophets did. This belief of those people, i.e. the Christians, that Jesus did not engage in his istighfar is false. This is their foolishness and ignorance as they level a false allegation upon Jesus. A study of the New Testament reveals that he repeatedly confessed to his weaknesses and even performed istighfar. The Promised Messiah states 
that what was meant by his cry, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani? Why did he not cry out, My father, my father? In Hebrew, God is called El, and the very meaning of this verse is that have mercy and help me and do not leave me abandoned like this. In other words, protect me. In reality, the difficulty is that the true meaning and purpose of the word istighfar is lost in India due to the burden of a difference in language. These prayers are considered as though they are just magical words, whether it be salat, i.e. the obligatory prayers, or istighfar or repentance. If you advise someone to do istighfar, they reply that they recite istighfar one or two hundred times on a rosary. But if you ask them its meaning, they know absolutely nothing. In fact, istighfar is an Arabic term that means seeking forgiveness, that, O oh my Lord, protect me from the consequences of previous sins, as sin is a poison that has an inevitable effect, and grant me such protection in the future that I will not commit sin. Mere verbal repetition of the words will not serve the purpose. The Promised Messiah further states, Toba means to turn away from sin through repentance and remorse, and there is no harm in it. On the contrary, it is written that Allah the Almighty immensely loves the servant who repents. In addition, the name of God Almighty is Tawwab, the meaning of which is that when a person repents of his sins and becomes remorseful, vowing to avoid them in the future, then God Almighty turns to him with his mercy. The Promised Messiah further states that God turns to man more than the repentance of man, as it is reported in the Noble Hadith, that if a person advances towards God by a distance of a portion of his hand, then God advances towards him by a measure of a full hand. And if someone comes walking towards him, God Almighty comes running. Meaning that if a person turns towards God, then Allah the Almighty also favours him with the utmost degree of mercy, grace and forgiveness. But if he turns his face away from God, then what care should God Almighty have? Then whilst explaining the true nature of istighfar, the Promised Messiah states, one should know that the Holy Qur'an has presented two names of Allah the Almighty, Al-Hay and Al-Qayyum. The meaning of Al-Hay is the God who is living and gives life to others. And Al-Qayyum means the self-subsisting and the true source of sustenance for others. The sustenance and life of all things, apparent and hidden, is through these two attributes. The word Hay requires that He be worshipped, as is manifested in Surah Al-Fatiha, in Iyaka Na'budu, that thee alone do we worship. Similarly, Al-Qayyum requires that support be sought from him, and this is performed through the words Iyaka Nasta'in, that thee alone do we implore for help. The word Hay necessitates worship because he created, and after creating he did not simply leave it. For example, the demise of a mason, i.e. the one who builds a building, after constructing a building, does not cause any harm to the building itself. However, man's need for God Almighty is present in every moment. For this reason, it is necessary that one continues to seek strength from God Almighty, and this is true istighfar. Then, expanding on this, it also applies to those people who sin, that they may be safeguarded from the evil results of these sins. Even if one has not sinned, one must still perform istighfar in order to remain alive and to remain in the refuge of God Almighty. 
but the true meaning is that one is saved from human weaknesses. Hence, anyone who is human, who deems istighfar to be unnecessary, is an insolent atheist. Then, whilst describing the true essence of istighfar, the promised Messiah states, Sin is an insect which pollutes the blood, but it can only be cured by way of istighfar. What is istighfar? It is for God Almighty to safeguard against the ill effects of the sins committed and those not yet committed. Furthermore, it is for the ability of a person to commit sin to never be manifested and for it to be burnt away to ashes from within. These are very fearful times, so occupy yourselves in Tawbah and Istighfar. The times we are passing through are of great fear, and so occupy yourselves in Tawbah and Istighfar and continue to assess your inner state. The people of every religion and nation and the people of the book accept that punishments are averted through arms, but only prior to the manifestation of the punishments. Once the punishment has descended, then it is never averted. Therefore, seek forgiveness and occupy yourselves in Tawbah from now so that the trial does not befall you and that Allah the Almighty protect you. Thus, in view of the current conditions of the world, we should profusely seek forgiveness as I mentioned earlier. May Allah the Almighty protect us from every kind of evil and trial. Then, whilst further expounding on the true reality of repentance, i.e. Tawbah, the promised Messiah stated, To reject repentance and forgiveness is to shut the door of human progress. To reject repentance and forgiveness is to shut the door of human progress. And it is obvious to everyone that man is not perfect in himself, but in fact he stands in need of perfection. The promised Messiah then further states, that just as after his birth, he gradually widens his knowledge and is not born learned and well-informed. In the same way, when after his birth he begins to be sensible of his surroundings, his moral condition is at a very low ebb. The Promised Messiah further expounding upon this states that observation of the condition of small children would show that most children are inclined to beat others on the slightest provocation and many of them are giving to telling lies and using foul language with other children. Some steal and carry tales and are envious and miserly. And when they grow up, they fall into the grip of the self that incites to vice and are guilty of diverse types of evil and wickedness. Thus, for most people, the first stage of life is impure, i.e. the society and conditions surrounding the person make them impure. But when a fortunate person emerges from the fierce flood of youth, then he turns towards God. That is, when a fortunate person observes the filth of this world, then his attention is drawn towards God Almighty and withdraws from undesirable activities through sincere repentance and occupies himself with purifying the garment of his nature. The Promised Messiah further states, These are stages of human life which a person has commonly to traverse. This shows that were it true that repentance is not accepted, then it would mean that God does not desire to bestow salvation on anyone. 
On one occasion, when some people had come to take the Pledge of Allegiance, i.e. the Bayt, and a gathering had formed, the Promised Messiah advised them as follows. The Promised Messiah stated, It is God Almighty's desire that mankind performs true and sincere repentance and prays to become free from sin, and that he should neither be disgraced in the hereafter and nor in this world. In other words, one should repent in a manner that saves one from disgrace both in this world and in the hereafter. The Promised Messiah further stated, Until a person is able to speak with true understanding of what he says and adopt humility, their words do not reach God. Sufis have written that if 40 days elapse and one has not cried for God, their heart becomes hardened. And the only remedy for a hardened heart is to weep, and there are ways to induce such a condition. If one looks towards what they have accomplished and at the condition of their life, if one takes a glance at the past, for the past holds many painful experiences as well, subsequently one's heart will begin to tremble and quiver. And the Promised Messiah further states, One who merely claims to be averse to sin is a liar. Where there is sweet syrup, there will certainly come ants. In the same manner, weakness naturally exists within the self. How can one be liberated from them? If God Almighty's grace and mercy does not manifest, one cannot safeguard against sin. Prophets and saints do not take pride in the fact that they do not sin. Rather, they always seek the grace of Allah the Almighty. This is exactly what is meant by prophets seeking forgiveness, so that God Almighty's grace remains over them. Otherwise, if humankind is left to do as it wills, it cannot remain innocent and pure. Allahumma ba'id baini wa bayna khataya And there are similar other prayers that elucidate this very meaning of istighfar i.e. seeking forgiveness. And the secret to becoming the servant of God is that one should come under God's refuge and one who does not seek God's refuge is conceited and arrogant. Once, someone asked the Promised Messiah as to how they can develop passion and derive pleasure in worship. And even now, people ask many questions in this regard. The Promised Messiah stated that passion and pleasure in performing good deeds and worship cannot be produced by yourself. It can only be attained through God Almighty's grace and if He enables you to. Therefore, one should not become worried and instead one ought to continue to supplicate to Allah the Almighty for His grace and strength. One should seek pleasure and passion in worship from Allah the Almighty, and you should not tire in praying for this. When one is steadfast and resolute in his prayers, then God Almighty showers His grace and fulfills the desires that once caused anxiousness and restlessness in their heart. If you are anxious and restless to develop passion and pleasure in your worship, and you remain steadfast in this, then at last you will achieve your goal. In other words, one begins to feel passion, pleasure and taste the sweetness of worship. However, if one does not strive and struggle, if one does not make an effort at all and thinks that this can be accomplished simply by blowing through their mouth, then this is not in accordance with the laws and practice of Allah the Almighty. If one tries Allah the Almighty in this way, then he is mocking God Almighty and will be ruined. Remember well that your hearts are in the hands of Allah the Almighty. If it were not for His grace, you would become Christian the very next day or adopt another path of faithlessness. For this reason, constantly seek His grace and His help through prayer that you may remain steadfast on the right path. He who becomes independent of Allah the Almighty becomes akin to Satan. To avoid this, one must continue to seek forgiveness so that he is safeguarded against the poison 
and urges that seek to destroy him. Thus, to attain a high standard of worship, one must seek forgiveness. Then, whilst explaining on the secret to saving oneself from God Almighty's punishment, the promised Messiah states, one should supplicate for repentance and forgiveness. Without repentance and forgiveness, one cannot achieve anything. All prophets have said that if one seeks repentance and forgiveness, only then will God forgive them. So offer your prayers and supplicate to God Almighty for help to avoid sins in the future and seek forgiveness for past sins and repent over and over so that the potential that exists in human nature to commit sin is not manifested. There are two forces in the nature of humans. One is the strength to carry out good works and virtues and the other is to commit evil. And it is up to God Almighty to keep this evil force at bay. And this force exists in humankind in the same manner that a stone holds the potential for fire. The Promised Messiah states, Bear in mind that two things have been granted to this Ummah, one which grants strength, and for that there is istighfar, i.e. seeking forgiveness, and the other which enables one to practically demonstrate the strength that they have attained, and that is to turn towards God through repentance. In order to build strength, there is istighfar, i.e. seeking forgiveness from God, which may also be described as istimdad, i.e. seeking support, or isti'anat, i.e. seeking assistance. The Sufis have written that just as meal clubs and lifting weights, as it was mentioned earlier, increase the strength and power of the body, similarly seeking forgiveness from God is a spiritual weight which strengthens the soul and develops steadfastness in the heart. One who desires to develop strength ought to seek forgiveness or perform istighfar. The Promised Messiah states, The door to God Almighty's favours and grace is never closed. If a person inclines towards God with a true heart and sincerity, then the all-forgiving and ever-merciful God will accept his repentance. And to ponder as to whether God Almighty would ever forgive the sinners is utter insolence and disrespect towards him. The treasuries of his mercy are vast and infinite, and there is no shortage in his court, and his door is not closed to anyone. His mercy is not like the jobs of the Englishmen that require extensive education. Those who strive towards God will attain lofty ranks accordingly, and this is a promise that is certain. One who despairs of God Almighty and dies in this state of ignorance is truly unfortunate and ill-fated. Surely his door does close when death comes upon a person. When in the end one meets with death, then there is no hope. The Promised Messiah further states, In Arabic idiom, Toba, i.e. repentance means returning. And that is why in the Holy Qur'an, God's name is also Tawab, that is to say, he who is oft returning. This means that when a person discarding sin turns to God with a sincere heart, God Almighty turns even more to him. And this is altogether in accord with the law of nature. God Almighty has made it a part of human nature that when a person turns to another with a sincere heart, the latter's heart is also softened for him. Then how can reason accept that when a servant turns towards God Almighty with a true heart, God should not turn to him? Indeed, God, who is benevolent and merciful, turns even more towards his servant. This is why in the Holy Qur'an, God's name, as we have just mentioned, is also Tawab, meaning he is oft returning. Man's turning to God is through remorse and humility and meekness. And God's turning to man is with mercy and forgiveness. 
If mercy were not one of the attributes of God Almighty, no one would be delivered. It is a pity that people do not ponder over the attributes of God Almighty and depend entirely upon their own actions. But can it be the attitude of God, who without any action proceeding from man has created thousands of bounties for him upon the earth, that when weak man, being warned of his heedlessness, should turn to him, a turning which is like death, and should put off his old garment and should be consumed in the fire of his love, God should not turn to him with mercy? Is this the law of nature? Certainly not, and curse of Allah be upon the liars. Whilst drawing our attention to bringing about remarkable change within our lives, the promised Messiah stated, Remember well that to leave Allah the Almighty and to solely rely on your own approach and planning is foolishness. Bring about such a change in your life as though you have entered a new life, which is one of seeking forgiveness. Seek forgiveness profusely. Those who are overwhelmingly engaged in worldly pursuits and who do not have time should be more fearful than others. Owing to their engagement in worldly endeavours, such people say that they do not have enough time, and so they should be very fearful. Jobs and professions often cause one to neglect their obligations towards God. For this reason, out of absolute necessity, it is permissible to offer Zuhr and Nasr prayers together and Maghrib and Isha prayers together. If there is a dire need, then one can combine prayers. However, the correct way is to offer prayer at its appointed time. The Promised Messiah states, I also know that if permission to offer prayer is sought from your superiors, then they often grant this permission. To those who are employed, if one seeks permission to offer prayers from the employer, even if they are not Muslim, then it is possible to get permission. It is only due to inner weakness that one would make such absurd excuses to forsake prayer. Not be unjust and unkind towards fulfilling the rights of Allah and the rights of His creation, and fulfill your obligations with utmost sincerity. Thus, seeking forgiveness and repentance will only be of benefit when one keeps the fundamental obligations in view and duly fulfills them. Prayers should be offered with consistency, and one should also duly fulfill the rights of Allah and His creation. The Promised Messiah then further states, Rise up, therefore, and repent, and appease your Lord with good deeds. And bear in mind that the errors of belief will only be punished after death, and the dispute between Hindus, Christian and Muslims will be decided in the hereafter. But he who crosses all bounds in audacity and immorality will be punished in this world, and there is no way he can escape divine chastisement. So try to please your Lord, and remember that He is the most compassionate and forgives the sins of a whole lifetime in a moment of self-consuming repentance. And do not despair of His forgiveness. Remember that you can only be saved by His grace and not through any of your efforts. Thus, one should continue to remain ever inclined towards Allah the Almighty and seek His grace and forgiveness. The Promised Messiah then stated, O merciful and compassionate God, have mercy on us, for we are thy servants and have thrown ourselves upon thy threshold. Amen. May Allah the Almighty enable us to become the recipient of the promised Messiah prayer and may we seek forgiveness and repentance whilst understanding its true meaning and essence. I will now mention some deceased members and will later lead their funeral prayers in absentia. The first mention is of respected Ansar Begum Saiba, who was the daughter of Hazrat Mir Muhammad Ishaq Saib. She recently passed away at the age of 93. By the grace of Allah the Almighty, she was a Musia. She was born in Qadian. Hazrat Mir Nasir Nawab Sahib 
was her paternal grandfather. Her mother's name was Hazrat Saleh Begum Sahiba, daughter of Bir Manzur Muhammad Sahib. She obtained her primary education in Qadiyan. Allah the Almighty blessed her with two sons and a daughter. She was married to the late Qazi Shokat Sahib. Mir Mahmud Ahmed Nasir Sahib writes from Rabwa regarding his sister that she was a very simple, kind and innocent person. Before getting married, our sister would take care of the entire family. He says in the early days of Rabwa, when there wouldn't be any electricity, the heat would be extreme and people lived in mud houses. He says we would all stay in one room to avoid the heat as it had a ceiling fan which would be made to move with a rope. And without anyone asking for the sake of our comfort, she would go out and push the rope so that we could sleep peacefully. He further states that she had a selfless passion for serving others. Her children write that our mother was a very sincere Ahmadi Muslim. She fulfilled her rights and duties as a wife. She was very simple in nature and was very loving. She would speak about the salient incidents full of wisdom from the life of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, his khulafa and companions in a very simple manner. She would also be able to easily relate accounts from the history of the Jamaat, the Promised Messiah, his khulafa and his companions. She would enjoin her children and generally others as well to remain steadfast upon faith and to live an honourable life. She was very active in rendering services to the Jamaat. Her greatest quality was a compassion for humanity. She also had a great passion for tabligh, i.e. propagation of the message of Islam. And whilst travelling, she would go to the airport terminal and preach the message of Islam to everyone, including the pilots. Her morals were beautiful and there was a simplicity to them. She was very good at delivering speeches. Her niece, Ammatul Kafi Sahiba, says, that her formative training was so strong that she never veered away from the training of her parents. She had such a passion for service to the faith that she would regularly go to the mosque in New York to clean it. People say that until she was strong enough, whenever she went to the market, she would propagate the message to people of all walks of life according to their understanding and in their language. She had great compassion and love in her heart for the needy and helpless. May Allah the Almighty enable her children to carry on her virtuous deeds and grant her his forgiveness and mercy and elevate her station. The second funeral is of respected Bushra Akram Sahiba from Sialkot. She also recently passed away. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. She was born in 1955 in Batal Sialkot. Among her outstanding qualities were that she was very virtuous, righteous, regular in offering prayers and fasting, and was very sincere. She was hospitable and tended to the poor. She had a special love for Khilafat. She also respected life devotees a great deal. She is survived by a husband, three daughters and a son. Her son, Shehriyar Babar Shehzad Saib, is a missionary of the Jamaat in Sierra Leone and due to being in the field of service there, he was unable to attend her funeral. 
Babur Shahzad Sahib, the missionary writes, and she was extremely happy when I was accepted into Jamia Ahmadiyya. And she inquired what they had asked, and I told her that they asked me in Jamia that since I am my parents' only son, who would take care of them if I dedicated my life? I then told her the response that I gave, and upon hearing this, my mother said that if I had seven sons, I would have dedicated all of them. He further says that in her final days, when she was admitted in the hospital, I called to ask how she was doing, and despite being in great discomfort, she said that she was fine and that she was eating and drinking as the doctors had prescribed. She also said that if anything happened to her, I should not worry and that I should remain in Africa and should not make my children worry either. She said that I am a life devotee and so I should remain patient. He says that these were my mother's last words. She took great care of the poor, the widows and would render financial aid to them. Whenever the harvest of wheat or rice would come in, she would divide it in various parts to assign their share. May Allah the Almighty grant her his forgiveness and mercy and grant her children patience. The third mention is of Musarrat Jahan Saiba, wife of Chaudhary Muhammad Akhtar Saib of Australia. She also recently passed away at the age of 87. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. Her paternal grandfather, Hazrat Babu Muhammad Afzal Ojalwi Sahib, was a companion of the Promised Messiah and she was raised in his presence. She had suffered from a brain hemorrhage and had been bedridden for the past 16 years. Her son Zahid and daughter-in-law especially took care of her during this time. Her daughter-in-law says that the way she treated me during her active life was not like a mother-in-law, but as if I were her daughter. She further says that she was regular in offering prayers, keeping fasts and offering the tahajjud prayer. She would take special care of her worship. She had kept a separate place in her home for worship. When there would be a dars on the Holy Quran in Masjid Mubarak, she would walk from Darul Uloom to attend the dars and she would also go in the last 10 days of the Ramadan for the Tarawih prayers. She further says that she had great love and respect for Khilafat. Her husband was a station master in the railway, and wherever he would be posted, she would hold lessons for children to learn the Holy Quran in her home. When she settled in Rabwa, she would also hold Quran classes there as well. She is survived by a husband, three sons and three daughters. Her youngest son, Hafiz Rashid Javed Sahib, is a life devotee, serving as Nazim Darul Qazai in Rabwa. May Allah the Almighty grant her his forgiveness and mercy and enable her children to carry on her good deeds. The fourth mention is of respected Nasir Ahmed Qureshi Sahib of USA. He also recently passed away at the age of 88. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. He was married to Amatul Bari Nasir Saiba, who served as the Secretary Ishaat for a long time under Lajna Imaila Karachi. He is survived by his wife, two sons and three daughters.
One of his grandsons, Vakas Khurshid, is a missionary, while another grandson is currently studying in Jamia Ahmadiyya, Canada. His father was respected Muhammad Shamsuddin Bahagalpuri Sahib, and Ahmadiyyat was established in their family in 1913 when respected Mulvi Abdul Majid Sahib, the father of Hazrat Sayyidah Sara Begum Sahiba, wife of Hazrat Khalifatul Masih II, held a gathering in that area and presented arguments in favor of the truthfulness of the Promised Messiah. His father was greatly influenced and went to meet him on the stage. He was given some literature which he read and subsequently developed a passion for Ahmadiyyat. He prayed and Allah the Almighty showed him the blessed countenance of the promised Messiah والسلام, in a dream along with other blessed dreams. Hence he wrote a letter to Hazrat Khalifatul Masih I عنه, pledging allegiance to him. And in this way he was among the foremost Ahmadis in Bahagalpur. Due to extreme opposition he migrated to Qadian along with his wife and children where he continued to increase in sincerity and love. He also had the opportunity to serve as the car driver for Hazrat Khalifatul Masih II Nasir Qureshi Sahib was born in Qadian and after the partition he moved to Karachi where he obtained his education and he continued his studies with great effort and dedication despite unfavourable conditions. He did his BA in electrical engineering and then took up a job in the telephone department and progressed to the rank of general manager. And when he retired, he did so with the reputation of being an extremely hardworking and trustworthy leader. In Jamaat Ahmadiyya Karachi, he served as the local president of the Nazimabad chapter he lived elsewhere as well and also served as the local president there as well. May Allah the Almighty grant him his forgiveness and mercy. His wife, Amatul Bari Sahiba, writes that I always found him to be regular in offering prayers and keeping fasts. His heart was attached to the mosque. He was a responsible husband and he took great care of the education and training of his children. He would also help those in need. He had a profound love for Khilafat and he always spoke in a truthful and straightforward manner. By the grace of God, he was a Musi and may Allah the Almighty enable his children to continue his good deeds. Alhamdulillah Alhamdulillah, Nahmadu, Nastainu, Nastafiru, Banomino Behi, Natawakalo, وَمَنْ يُضْلِلُّ فَلَا هَادِيَ لَهُ وَنَشْهَدُ اللَّهَ إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهُ وَنَشْهَدُ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا عَبْدُهُ رَسُولُهُ إِبَادَ اللَّهِ رَحِمَكُمُ اللَّهُ إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَعْمُرُ بِالْعَدْلِ وَالْإِسَانِ 